This moral inventory is looking at our own crap and our own problems. This doesn't discount trauma. This doesn't discount abuse. This doesn't discount if you came back from war and you had PTSD. Okay, it's not your fault. This doesn't discount these things, but this is where we look at what is my part and how do I change? Hey friends, welcome to Genuine Life Recovery with me, Jody Stevens, helping you, helping your loved ones overcome addictions to substance abuse and other addictions, food addictions. Um, there's different types of addictions, right? We've got our substance abuse addictions and then process addictions like gambling, food, sex, and things like that, but just helping you overcome addictions and then also codependency and codependency issues. So this is under understanding the 12 steps part two. 12 steps can be applied to any addiction. What else is great about the 12 steps is I feel like they're wonderful to go through. Even if you don't think you're an addict or don't feel that you're an addict, they're very transforming once you understand them and how to apply them. And for those Christians listening like myself, they're very biblical in nature. So um, that's what we're talking about today. We're going to go over steps four through seven. By the way, please share this show on social media or with anybody you know uh, who struggles with addiction or codependency, loved one, family member, maybe you. Love it if you'd leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening through. Maybe leave a comment um, on the app you're listening through on iTunes, YouTube, Podbean. And of course, you can listen on my website, which is on your screen there, which is jodystevens.org. So last week, we talked about steps one through three. So if you did not watch the last episode, Understanding the 12 Steps Part 1, one, I would just kind of pause this, stop it and go back and watch the first one so that you can understand because their, their reason they're in consecutive order is because when we take a sponsor through a sponsee through the 12 steps, or we do the 12 steps in group therapy or, or just a group at a church or whatever the case may be, perhaps you're in a an AA meeting or NA meeting that goes through the 12 steps, you go through them in order, right? Um, so watch that one. Also last week, I talked a little bit about the origin of the 12 steps founded by Bill W. who wrote the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was published in 1939. And he was inspired to write them based on the six principles that came out of the Oxford House, which was a, or not the Oxford House, but the Oxford Group, which was a Christian organization at the time. So just to quickly review, and this is why uh, the 12 steps line up so well with the Bible and so well with scripture. So step one was we admitted we were powerless over our addictions, um, that our lives had become unmanageable. And Romans seven eighteen tells us, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I've got the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. So 
this sin nature could be to blame for the fall and for every problem and difficulty that we face in this world. That doesn't mean that addiction is our fault. We may have come from trauma and abuse. That doesn't mean that there aren't other causes of addiction like the environment we grew up in. Um, also the, uh, you know, our family of origin, the family system, all these things work together. There's a lot of reasons for addiction. It's not just, yes, the behavior's bad. Yes, it's sinful, but it's not there. Oftentimes, um, it's not necessarily our fault, maybe the only coping mechanism that we have. So that was step one. And also the, um, diagnostic and statistic manual, the DSM five that tells us about all the different mental disorders has a 11 criteria for substance use disorder. One of those is repeated attempts to control our use. We, you know, right, we keep trying to quit on our own and we can't do it. And that's where step one comes in, right? We admitted we were powerless over our addiction, right? Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, right, God, could restore us to sanity. Philippians 2.13 tells us, for it is God who works in you to will you and to, to help you to act according to his good purpose, right? Um, so we believe now, we, we, we come to believe, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. I believe I've got this problem. Now uh, I'm looking to you to, to help me, to help restore me to sanity, right? Another criteria for substance use disorder is hazardous use. Maybe we OD'd, we've been driving while we're intoxicated, we've blacked out. All these types of things happen, and that's a form of insanity. Maybe we have a lot of psychological problems and things like that, okay? So that was step two. Step three, is that we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of worship. So now here in step three, we're saying, I want to give all this up, right? Um, living my own life, trying to quit on my own has caused me, and, and my using and drinking and addiction has caused me all these problems, right? So we work through these steps one, two, and then in step three, we say, I'm, I'm, I'm making a decision, God, to turn my will over to you because what I think is working and what I think is right is causing too many problems in my life. So it's right. It's that thing where we say, not my will, God, but yours be done. So that was steps one through three. I go into a lot more depth in the previous episode. So, so please watch that. Then we come to step four. Step four is a challenge for many people. It can be a stumbling block. My husband's been sober almost 20 years. He likes to laugh and say he spilled beer on his fourth step several times. <laughs> so step four, is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So again, this moral inventory is looking at our own crap and our own problems. This doesn't discount trauma. This doesn't discount abuse. This doesn't discount if you came back from war and you have PTSD. Okay. It's not your fault. This doesn't discount these things, but this is where we look at 
what is my part and how do I change? Lamentations 340 tells us, let us examine our ways, let us test them, and let us return to the Lord, like in step three. So the purpose of this step, making this fearless moral inventory ourselves, is to get honest right? It's to, it's to determine what is the root cause of my drinking? What are the, the weaknesses contributing to my alcoholism? Maybe it is the PTSD. Maybe it's the panic. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's childhood issues, right? But it's also looking at what are my strengths? What am I really good at? What, you know what I mean? Maybe I, I tough things out and I don't talk to people. And so sometimes the tenacity could be good, but the problem is we're not reaching out. We're not looking for help. So that's, that's a weakness. We keep trying to do this on our own and we can't. So, uh, things like that. So we're looking, we're really taking an inventory of our weaknesses, of our strengths. We're really just getting honest with ourselves. Uh, and we do this with a sponsor or a therapist or in an inpatient or outpatient recovery group, things like that. Um, so this is kind of a self-discovery. A lot of people that have really bad addictions, they maybe started really young, could have been caused from trauma or abuse or attachment disorders or things like that. You come in and you're doing this fourth step. You don't really know who you are. You don't know what your triggers are, what's causing you to drink. You don't know what's going on. And this, you've got emotional voids and all these things are going on. And it may not be your fault. That's just how you learn to cope. You didn't learn correct coping skills. And so we've got to do this inventory and figure out what's going on inside of me. So this step is going to uncover those emotions, negative thoughts, um, things that we're doing, people we're hanging out with that are contributing to um, the spiraling of our um, addiction. So we look at a, a big part of this step is resentment. A lot of times with addiction, it's everybody else's fault and they're all against me and they're doing all this stuff. And they say resentment is the number one offender. More people relapse over resentment than anything else, which is tied to negative emotions. So negative emotions like resentment are the number one cause of relapse, of falling back into our addiction. So if it's negative emotions that are causing us to relapse and fall into our addiction, it's safe to say that instead of being a drug or alcohol addict, we may be a bad emotion addict, right? Does that make sense? So we got to dig into the causes of this. So we look at uh, who we're resentful for. We work on what was my part. We, we don't, I mean, we don't have to look at their part. It's really what's, what was my part in this situation? That doesn't make it your fault. It just means you're getting, you're getting honest with yourself and looking at at What the heck's my part in my life? I remember literally before I got sober, God spoke to me, not like, you know, thunder from heaven, but just, it was an inner voice. And you know what he said? <laughs> he said, you are the problem with your life. Now people might say, God is only encouraging and he doesn't speak that way. Well, that's what I heard. And that's what I needed to hear because I was the problem with my life. And it was what I needed to hear at the time. It was, it was the timing of it was very good and very right. And I was really ripe to hear that. And that's when I really began to see my own addiction and my problems 
and that I needed to make these changes. It didn't matter that um, there were issues in my past. It didn't matter that there was codependency and some dysfunctional patterns in my childhood. I mean, let me take that back. It does matter. It's not always your fault, but what are you going to do with it? right? Are you going to find meaning out of it? And are you going to work forward? And are you going to change your life? Or are you going to stay stuck in this, this self-pity kind of mentality? So essentially what we're, what we're looking for in this step is that you know, we're the only ones that can change. We can't change what happened to us. We can't change the past. The only thing we can do is change here. So then in this fourth step, we look at our fears. What am I afraid of? And what is that fear causing me to do, right? Fear and anxiety are what caused me to drink all the time. I was afraid of so much and the addiction calmed my fears. Some people are very prideful, right? It's everybody else's fault. I know everything. I can run my own life. I don't need the Lord. So that's where a lot of people struggle in the earlier steps is recognizing God because it's it's me and my self-will. So we look at those things and people that are more prideful, maybe have some more kind of I don't really like narcissistic tendencies. We have to break that down. We look at self-pity and, and shame and guilt. We do like an entire sex inventory of relationships and how we handle them and all these sorts of things. And so that's the, what the 12 step is. Uh, I'm sorry. That's what step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. What it is, is a lot of deep self-reflection and working on these things with another person. And the ability to self-reflect is what causes us to become better people in this world. Have you ever known someone who everything's always someone else's fault. They never take responsibility for anything. Well, people like that are always going to stay stuck. They're always going to stay emotionally immature. They're never going to develop high levels of, you know, emotional intelligence that everyone talks about because they're, they can't grow. If you can't self-reflect, how could you ever grow emotionally? How could you ever get beyond anything? If we can't examine some of the reasons for our addictions, our maladaptive behaviors, we can't make any plans to change. So once we start getting into getting looking at these issues, then we can make plans. How am I going to handle anger? How am I going to deal with it when someone tries to get me to drink with them? How am I going to handle it when, you know, my dad triggers me and, and starts doing that. And how am I going to handle it? You know, when the anger gets the best of me, how am I going to handle it when that depression comes in again or, or whatever it is? You, you have to know what these things are and you have to be able to self-reflect on them before you can begin to change them. So that's step four. It's really the, probably one of the most involved steps in the fourth step. Um, step number five is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. So this is where, so, and the step, uh, I'm sorry, the scripture that goes along with this is James 5, 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for each other so that you may be healed. So this is uh, a lot of um, the 12 steps and a lot of sobriety involves honesty, and humility. 
So a great book that goes along with the big book and the Bible too is called The 12 Steps and the 12 Traditions. Fantastic. But in this book, Bill W. kind of explains this step admitted to God, to ourselves, another human being, the exact, the exact nature of our wrongs. He says this uh, vital exercise begins to provide emotional, mental, and spiritual relief by sharing wrong with a trusted confidant, guilt and shame start to melt away. Newcomers begin to realize their troubled past isn't unique as as they once thought. Um, both painful and rewarding, the fifth step is essential to the fundamental change of personality, change of personality required to overcome alcohol and drug addiction. In its simplest form, the fifth step is simply a confession, right? Remember the scripture in James of personal wrongdoings. Again, this doesn't mean that that we excuse everyone's behavior, that we sit there and say, I'm wrong, even though uh, my father was an abusive alcoholic. It's, it's more about, it's not my fault, but it's my responsibility. And because of some tragedy or some things that happened, I've got this addiction now and I'm acting wrong. I'm still being, you know, acting in this crazy way. And part of um, the tradition of being a Christian, whether it's, of course, you know, in Catholicism, you go confess to the priest. In um, Christianity, uh, more, um, what do I want to say, current <laughs> Christianity, you know, we don't, we don't go to the priest, but we we follow the scripture that says confess your sins to one another, right? So that you may be healed because most of us in addiction, we're hiding it. And where does shame and sin and bad behavior and addiction all live? It lives in the dark, lives in those dark corners of us where we don't want anyone to see it and it festers and it grows and it gets worse, but it loses its power in confession. Now, what I will say about this step in confession is it loses its power when it's the right person to confess, okay? If there's someone in your family who's very manipulative, um, that's not the person to confess to. It's not going to lose its power because people like that are listening to you confess so they can figure out how to use it against you. So again, right, confession is about um, being responsible, being somewhat discerning. And this is where a good sponsor or a good therapist or a pastor or someone can help you that is interested in your well-being. So when we do this confession, so we do our whole fourth step and then we confess it. We, we, we talk through it with someone in a form of, of confession. Okay. Um, and the person who we do this with, what happens with a lot of people that come from addictive pasts or trauma, they may have experienced a lot of judgment, a lot of never feeling heard. Maybe there was attachment disorders where there was abuse, their caregiver wasn't consistent. And so sometimes, and a lot of times people with addiction come grow up into the world with when you have sort of attachment issues, what it really means is just that you've come to believe because of the way you were raised that the world is a very scary place, that people are kind of more 
against you than for you. And it can be hard to relate to people. Some people that are more controlling, maybe narcissistic that come from that might say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take what I can get and I'm going to get them before they get me. Or people like myself that struggle with more codependency, we just, we don't stand up for ourselves. We don't say anything. We don't, you know, um, things like that. So we want to become a more integrated person to where um, we don't see people as all good or all bad. It's this process of integration of our personality that often didn't happen when we were being raised. And what happens when we are with a healthy, somewhat integrated person and we're confessing and they're reflecting empathy and emotion back to us and they're listening to our confession without guilting us or shaming us, they're lovingly listening, that is where healing begins and we can begin to heal our relational issues. So that's what makes this step so important, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrong. Okay, step six, we were entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. These things we're confessing, this fourth step that we've done. Now we're ready to have God take it away. So James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's a great song to humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Remember that one? If not, that's okay. But so this one is about acceptance. So there's a beautiful thing in the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says, acceptance is the key to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. I can find no peace and no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it was supposed to be in this moment. Nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism or my addiction, I could not stay sober. Until I could accept life on life's terms, I could not stay happy. So when we're addicted, we, when we have all these emotional issues and stuff is because a lot of times we're, we have this view of ourselves as, you know, the way we, the way we want to be, right. We, we have these morals and this is who we want to be, but the way we're living is not who we want to be. Right. And that's that whole kind of lack of integration and not really knowing, um, who we are. And so that's what's so important about this humility part is we, now we've kind of dug through this stuff. Who am I? And we've taken this inventory. Um, and now we're asking God um, to remove these defects of character. So you can't heal from something that you're in denial about. This is you know, people come into recovery. Oh, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I, I don't think I am. And that's part of the denial. So acceptance is, yeah, I've got this problem. And yeah, underneath it is a lot of anger. There's rage, there's pride, there's uh, selfishness, there's fear, there's blame. Maybe there's a victim mentality where 
you know, everybody else is to blame and we're the victim of everything. And that's not to say that we weren't the victim. That's not to say that we weren't, but the victim mentality is a thing where we constantly have to have people validate um, our sad story and we can kind of live in that mode, right? You may not struggle with this. I did. I had to come out of this kind of victim mentality. Um, but if you don't, you know, someone like this and it, it, you know, they can drag you down like, just like that when it's like, Oh Lord, another, you know, sad story. Um, you know, and also many people who struggle with addictions have co-occurring disorders, which means not only are we uh, an alcoholic or a drug addict, we also have anxiety or depression or, um, OCD or maybe a borderline or just like a narcissism or a super codependent like I was, or kind of a personality disorder that's causing us a lot of issues. And so that's another thing we may have to look at and go to therapy and may even need some medication or something initially to work those things out so, um, that we can stay sober and maybe get, you know, some more intensive counseling as well. So these are all things that, um, that we want to work with when we, you know, we were entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. But sometimes the removal, it's, it's not a magic wand. It takes some time to work through that stuff. Okay. So step six, that is step six to humbly ask God to remove our, def to remove our defects of character. And then finally, step seven, is where we're stopping today, is humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. So 1 John, First uh, John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. So we've done this big step four inventory that we talked about. We've confessed to a sponsor or a therapist. Uh, we, and then we've done step six where step six was, is really this acceptance and this getting ready. I'm getting ready to have God help me to remove this stuff. Right. So we prepare through that acceptance of these things. And then step seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. And that takes humility and that takes courage. So we pray for God to remove these challenges. And remember that humility isn't a weakness, it's a strength. Humility says, I'm not the best, I'm not the worst, I'm simply human. Not Superman, not Superwoman. Humility is recognizing our limitations, our right place before God as the creature and not the creator, as the one who knows more than we do, as the one who can help us through all of this. Okay. So I hope that that was encouraging to you. And I hope that this made a lot more sense to you. The application of these is, you know, step four, we're going to work with our sponsor to work through these steps or a therapist. And you can find when you're doing this self-inventory, if you look online, you can go to like, I think it's 12steps.org. There's worksheets for all of this stuff to, that explains how you can do that. And step five is again, where we get the, our sponsor, therapist, somebody's safe. And then we do that confession after we've done uh, the fourth step. Entirely ready is, the, is this acceptance and really just a lot of 
um, prayer, meditation, whatever the case may be, as we're getting ready. And step seven, we do we get on our knees, Lord, God, help me to remove these shortcomings. And that's a daily thing, right? It, it's, it happens day after day after day. God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. All these things. I mean, almost all these steps are, are um, they're not a one-time deal. You know, we, we, it's this sanctification process of life where we, we work through these things throughout our entire lives. Okay, so that's steps four through seven. And again, I just encourage you to go back, watch the first, watch, watch part one, so you can see all steps one through seven. And then next time we're going to go through uh, eight through 12. So we're going to finish it out. Again, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please do get help. Start going to meetings, get a sponsor, get a good therapist, join a join a meeting group. You can call the helpline. There's a substance abuse helpline um, on your screen there, 800-662-HELP. And also, again, please share this show on social media or with anybody you know that's struggling with addiction, codependency family member, friends, maybe it's you. And I'd appreciate it if you would um, leave a review on iTunes, whatever app you're listening through. And you can also email me. My email is genuinelife at jodystevens.org. And I'd love to send you my free sobriety resource guide. And you can, it's, it's pretty cool. It's just got what makes a good sponsor. It's got the helplines there. It's got stuff on... Um, the the DSM-5 substance use disorder criteria, a whole bunch of different things that I put together, and I'll be happy to give that to you for free. You can also get it if you go to my website and just sign up for it. There's a little um, pop-up that comes up on my website, and then you can get on my mailing list, and that's jodystevens.org. So thanks for watching, friends, and join us next time as we're going to go understanding the 12 steps, steps 8 through 12. See you next time.